Exodus chapter 15, and we'll read the whole chapter. It's titled, The Song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. The horse and its rider he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The peoples of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hand established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. 
He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. I think we should have a picture to look at. Yes, it's not very long ago since we saw pictures like this on our television screens where the people of Libya were celebrating their dramatic rescue from 43 years of slavery under Colonel Gaddafi. It was the result, as you know, of a very fierce struggle in which many lives were lost and many cities were destroyed. But according to all that we hear, they really did celebrate. And this is just one small example of the kind of noise that they were making and the things they were doing. I want to contrast that with the celebration that we read about here in Exodus chapter 15. Because although there was some similarity in that there had been a dramatic deliverance from oppression and it was on a national scale, and it was intensely emotional, there were some significant differences. As far as the people of Egypt was concer- were concerned, it was a matter of 430 years that Israel had been under the Egyptians, whereas the Libyans had only been under 43 years of Gaddafi's uh, slavery. In the case of the people of Libya, we know that a lot of their lives were lost as many of their cities were destroyed. But as far as we can see in Exodus chapter 15, not one Israelite was hurt at all, and none of those people came to any harm. One of the things that comes clearly from the reading of this chapter is that the total deliverance which Israel experienced was entirely the work of God. If we'd looked earlier in the uh, verses that precede the chapter, we would have heard God saying to the people, you stand still and I will do it. And that's what we're celebrating here in Exodus 15. The first two verses, I'll read again, verses 1 and 2. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Moses must have composed this hymn spontaneously on the spot. He hadn't had time to uh, prepare all of this because the events had only just happened. But helped by the Holy Spirit, he composes this hymn And not only does he sing it, but the people sing it together with him, Moses and all the Israelites. Now there's one sense in which, uh, looking at an Old Testament passage like this, we're in danger of saying, that's boring history. Those are the kind of things that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But the New Testament always encourages us to see 
But what happened to the people of God in the Old Testament is a kind of example. It's a a living story to illustrate what God has already done for us. So I want to have an aim this evening in our looking at this passage together, and that is to excite you. I want to excite such enthusiastic praise to God for our deliverance that we shall be having confidence to face the trials that are ahead of us. I wasn't necessarily going to ask that the whole of the chapter was read uh, because we were looking at a little bit of a shortage of time. But I'm glad in the sense that we did read the end part as well because that's just the beginning of some of the trials that the people of uh, Israel experienced when they were there after the exodus. So here are the three headings we're going to look at uh, this evening. We're not going to look primarily at the subject of what happened to the Israelites, but ourselves, our deliverance. Our deliverance is something worth singing about. Secondly, that our deliverance secures our future hope. You will see as we go through this song that it looks forward to the future. And thirdly, that our deliverance prepares us for the trials ahead. There were trials ahead of the people in Exodus 15 and believe it or not, you're going to face trouble one day if not tomorrow because that's the kind of thing the Christian life is about. So let's begin by looking at the matter of singing. Our deliverance is worth singing about. We have to just quickly remind ourselves about what what happened to Israel. They were delivered when God destroyed the Egyptian army. After years of oppression, after all the uncertainty of the time of the plagues, will he, won't he let us go free? At last the people of God escaped from uh, Egypt and they were on their way towards the promised land and they found something in front of them. Not just a little bit of water, but the Red Sea. On either side of them, there was ground that they couldn't occupy. There were mountains there. And behind them, Pharaoh now got his whole army together with their chariots. And they were thundering after the people of God. But if you look back for a moment to chapter 14, let me read to you what we see here in verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Great, said Pharaoh and the Egyptians. If they can go through, so can we. And so they came afterwards with their army and with their chariots. But... Now we have to look at verses 27 and 28 at what happened then. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea again and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Such relief, such 
deliverance. No wonder we read in verse 31, and when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. A deliverance so dramatic and unique, it became central to the whole history and destiny of Israel as the people of God. No wonder they celebrated by singing. Now, New Testament tells us that that picture of what happened to the people of Israel being delivered from Egypt is a picture of what's happened to us. We weren't under the oppression of the Egyptians, but we were under the control of the devil. The devil had under his oppression all the people that fell since Adam fell in the early part of the book of Genesis. We were slaves to sin. We were those who were serving his godless ways in a way which we find to be so frustrating when we see it around us. But as we saw in the earlier part of Exodus, God in his great mercy provided a Passover lamb so that when the angel of death came over the people of Egypt, those who trusted in the sacrificial lamb were delivered. And as that was a picture of our deliverance from the consequences of our sin, so this is a picture of our being deliverance from the power of sin and from all that Satan intended, us, intended to do to us. If you want to turn it up in the New Testament, you can find it in the letter to the Colossians, but you don't need to read all of these things. This is what Paul says in Colossians 2. It explains to us what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And here's the point. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's the phrase, triumphing over them. As the people of Israel saw God triumphing over the Egyptians. So what was happening on the cross of Jesus Christ was not merely the fact he was bearing the punishment of our sins, but he was triumphing over the powers of sin and death and hell. It's a deliverance. It's a great victory. It's something of which this Old Testament story is but a pale reflection. The reality is far greater than the picture itself. All New Testament Christians are characterized by this fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we have been delivered by the power of Jesus' cross from the enemies of our soul. So we find ourselves, as New Testament Christians, like the people of God here in Exodus 15, saying that God alone deserves the praise for our deliverance. 
Now this song, which we had read together, it's all about God. Just look at it in the Bible for a moment. Verse 1, I will sing to the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Verse 11, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Then the last verse of the song, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. It's all what God has done. Just look at verse 9, because there's something here which always uh, uh, encourages me. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself, gorge myself, I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. But what did God do? He just breathed on them. That's all God needs to do. He just breathed on them. And they were utterly destroyed. No wonder then, here spontaneously, Moses begins to sing about God. And this is the very first mention of singing in the Bible. They were singing the praise of God for this miraculous deliverance. There was other singing in the Bible. Later on, there's a story of somebody called Deborah after the defeat of one of the Canaanite kings, and she sings a song of praise to God. Later on, David and others wrote these wonderful psalms, and there were professional singers then appointed to sing in the temple. And singing was part of the worship of the people of God. Now, if that was true for them in the Old Testament, what does it mean for us in the New Testament? Well, I will you get to look this one up. Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 5. Here is Paul encouraging the church about the way in which, in which they should serve him. And what does he tell us to do? In Ephesians 5 and verse 19, he says, Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, I'm not a great singer. I have great reason to be thankful and you have great reason to be thankful to those who operate the sound system in the church. Because when it comes to singing the hymns, and I am here preaching, and it comes to singing of the hymns, they turn this microphone off. So you don't have to hear how badly I sing. But one day, you know, we're all going to sing perfectly, in a place which is perfect, in a manner which is without any harm or sin or frailty or anything. Because if you go to the last chapter, the last verse, I'll get this right, the last book of the Bible in Revelation, we are told that one of the characteristics of heaven itself is that the people of God sang together. This is Revelation chapter 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing 
to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It is a heavenly exercise to sing the praise of God. So when we meet together as God's people, Sunday by Sunday, and other opportunities as well, we sing the praise of God. Now, why don't we just read about it? I mean, I brought one of my books along. I've got a few books at home. This one is called Systematic Theology. I've got even thicker ones than this, and some of them in three volumes. And we could stand here this evening, and I could read to you about the incommunicable attributes of God, as they're found in the book in the book here, which is Systematic Theology. It's all about God. It's all true. It's wonderful stuff. But I guess it might leave you a bit cold. But singing is what we feel, isn't it? Why is it these characters who go to the football matches get so excited? Why is it that the tender relationship that exists between a young man and a young woman are expressed in love songs? It's because singing has emotion about it. It's something that we feel. It's something which reacts to what has happened and is expressed in song and in praise. That's what singing is about, and that's why it's important as part of our Christian worship. That's why we have worship songs which are best when they focus on the character of God, upon who he is and what he means to us. And I find, you know, this is one of the tests of whether someone really does know the Lord for themselves. It's whether they can sing from the heart. You all know how difficult it is to get teenagers to sing. You can find that um, you may have some people who naturally enjoy singing, but most of us don't naturally enjoy singing. But when we come to know the Lord Jesus, we want to sing. We want to open our mouths. We want to express the love that we have towards him. And I'm very often concerned about some people who say that they're Christians. But when it comes to singing, their heart doesn't seem to be in it. This was what happened to these people. Their heart was in it. And so no wonder they sang praise to God. That's the first point we must grasp then as a lesson to learn from Exodus 15. Our deliverance is something worth singing about. But let's move on. Our deliverance secures our future hope. Look please at verse 13 of Exodus 15. Because Israel's song looks forward to the promised land, as well as looking back to the deliverance from Egypt. In verse 13, Moses sings, In your unfailing love you will lead your people, the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. And if you read down the rest of these verses, you would find that verb happening time and time again. You will do this, you will do this, you will do this, because God is now looking forward. Now, how did Moses know what they were going to do? Moses didn't know what God was saying, but God knew. And God showed him in composing this song that it wasn't just enough 
for God's people to be taken out of Egypt. They had to be taken into the promised land. How is it going to overcome all the opposition of the Canaanites? Well, God will do it, he says, because he's still the Lord who will reign forever and ever. In verse 16, he calls them the people you bought. He redeemed them. They belong to him. They're his people and his purpose is to bring them into the promised land. And Christians too can have that confidence, can't they? Singing songs of expectation, marching to the promised land, one of the old hymns puts it. And so we have to say, if we are celebrating too our deliverance from the powers of darkness, we must also be celebrating the certainty of our future hope. New Testament Christians recognize this picture that we're not only those people who have been saved, but those people who are going to be saved, in the sense that we're going to a far better place than this, where we will serve and worship God forever. And the New Testament shows us, time after time, that this is the whole perspective we should be having on the way in which we live and serve God. He says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We have a heavenly dwelling and we're going there. And God has said we can be as certain as the fact that we will go there, as the fact that we have been delivered from Egypt. We're a people thanking God personally for that reality. Now I know that when we find ourselves bogged down often by the difficulties that we're going through and the circumstances we're in, it's very easy to forget that. That's one reason why we come together Sunday by Sunday. It's one reason why we sing these hymns, which often do look forward to the future. Because it's something we can be encouraged by, that our future hope is secured. It's not arrogant to have that confidence, because we're not saying it's because we deserve it. It's not something that we can say we've worked out for ourselves just as much as Moses could say of that deliverance and of the place they were going, it's God's work. That's our confidence too. I think one of the big differences that there is between us and our non-Christian friends is this hope that we have. I had a friend who was in one of the churches I served, who was a teacher in rather a good school. It was a a girls' grammar school, an upmarket school, and she was a delightful Christian woman. And she came to me one day and she said, you know, the people in my staff room, they're such lovely people. I get on so well with them, but I don't see how I can show them how different I am by being a Christian. Because they all seem to live moral lives, they all seem to be such nice people to work with, and I don't see I'm any different from them. 
So I said to her, until you talk about death, until you talk about what you can look forward to when this life comes to an end. I said, the subject won't come up all the time, but it may come up sometimes. And this is the great difference between you and those people. They may be lovely people, but without Jesus Christ, they do not have the hope that Daphne had. Not a great deal of time after that, Daphne contracted a brain tumour. And she's in heaven now. She didn't live many years after that conversation. But she had that hope. And that hope is what distinguishes us from the people of the world. And that hope is what we should be singing about and what we should be feeling. And not just saying it by reading dry words, but by saying this is part of our love, part of our gratitude, part of our praise to God. But we have been delivered and we will be delivered into the promised land. So thirdly, we must see that our deliverance is going to prepare us for the trials ahead. Israel didn't know all the trials that they were going to go through. But it didn't take long hitting them, did it? Three days later, they came to a place and they found the water that was there was bitter, and they couldn't drink it. This is a desert, don't forget. And the only water they had was poisonous to them. No wonder the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Next Sunday evening, God willing, you should be looking at chapter 16 and seeing some of the other problems. Verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They got problems over their food. In fact, if you count up all the instances of the people grumbling recorded in the Bible while they were in that desert journey, there are ten different occasions when they faced trials so severe, they were saying, if only we could go back to Egypt. They were huge problems ahead. Some of you know the story that when they came to the edge of the promised land and they sent their spies in to see what it was like, the majority of the spies came back and said, we can't possibly go in there. And because of their unbelief at all the giants and armies they saw in, in, in the promised land, God made them wander about in the desert for 40 years. Trials and trials and trials. Now, God had been preparing for that, hadn't he? God had been saying, I've done such a wonderful deliverance, such a powerful experience of my strength, that if only you remember that, you'll be able to go through those problems too. But they didn't. And they suffered. Now, if it's true that this Old Testament story is a picture of the Christian life, it's a reminder that we have trials to face as well. We are redeemed by Christ our Passover. We are on a journey to the promised kingdom. But it's not an easy road. It's a long and a hard road. And Jesus said to his friends, in this world you are going to have trouble. 
because we have an enemy. But this can cause difficulties for us. We have the attractions of all the world. We have the seductions of our old nature. We have the hatred of the devil himself. The Christian life is a life where there are trials. Just let me reflect upon some that we've had this week. We've seen the vulnerability of little children. As Paddy and Claire have had little Noah very, very gravely ill at the beginning of the week. We've had the reminders of the frailty of old age as Vi, at her advanced age, had a fall and had to spend some time in hospital. We've had the pain of bereavement, haven't we? We've still got the uncertainty of the building work in the church and whether we shall or shall not be given permission to do it. We've got the problems of the world financial markets. Oh, that's all the worries of other people in Greece, you may say. You talk to the treasurer of any Christian charity today. You talk to those who are responsible for the maintenance of salaries in Christian ministry. These things are affecting all of us. And as far as you're concerned, I don't know what trials lie ahead for you. But I do know that there is no way in which we're going to reach the promised land without going through trials one after another. That's why the Old Testament is such a blessing to us. Paul writing to the church at Rome put it in these words. This is Romans chapter 15. He says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures all that God's people went through. They did reach the promised land. He did fulfill his promise to Abraham. Many didn't reach the land there because of their unbelief. But those who believed in the God of these promises were able to enjoy the land that God had prepared for them. The tragedy is that so many times when they were faced with trials, Instead of saying, well, the God who did that for us at the Red Sea is still the God, what does he say in verse 18, who will reign forever and ever. And he must be with us now. And that's the choice that faces us this week, isn't it? Whatever Satan has prepared to trip us up, whatever the anxieties and concerns we face, we can either be those people who say, I can't cope with this. Or the people who say, the Lord will reign forever and ever. He who did that for the people of Israel at the Red Sea can bring us through too. What better place then for our celebrating our past deliverance and our future hope than by coming to the Lord's table in a few moments' time.
his death on Calvary was our Passover lamb, but also our Red Sea triumph. The worst that the devil could do was utterly defeated. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. That's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. That's why we want to remember him in that way. That's why. Did you notice that before the Lord Jesus took his people out after the Last Supper, they sang a hymn together. Singing is what expresses the reality of our confidence.